the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Numbers. God had kept every promise to the children of Israel. He miraculously set them free from the land of Egypt. He provided food and water for them in the desert wilderness. God showed he was with them by being present in a cloud of smoke in the tabernacle. But when it came time for the Israelites to go into the promised land, the people rejected God's plan and were ready to stone Joshua and Caleb when they were trying to convince them otherwise. God had to judge the people. Moses asked for mercy on the people according to God's character and nature. God would show mercy but still needed to bring judgment since he is just. We join Pastor Will in Numbers chapter 14, verse 17. He says, so now, verse 17, I beseech you, let the power of my Lord be great according as you have spoken. Moses says, Lord, why don't you take this horrible situation and show the whole world what I already know is true about you? That you are bigger than our failures, that you're bigger than our sin. We sang it tonight, our sin was great, but Jesus is greater, right? Would you show that you're able to take even the most stubborn and disobedient people and accomplish what you've set out to do, that will show how strong you are. That will show how great you are. You might be saying, man, that's a pretty audacious prayer. How how does Moses know that God's able to overcome our sin? Because God said he was. He says in verse 17, according as you have spoken, saying, and then he quotes Exodus 34, the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, doesn't just ignore sin, but visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth generation. The basis of his request isn't what they deserve, but it's who God is. And who is God? He's this. No, he doesn't just ignore sin, but he's patient. He's of great mercy, and he forgives iniquity and transgression. That's who he is. She says, Lord, I know who you are because when I was there on that mountain and I prayed, show me your glory, you did. And you declared all these things to me. God, these are your people who I know you love despite everything they've done or will do. And I know you're for them even when they're not for you. And I know you want to forgive them. So Lord, will you please do so like you've done up to this point? He says, Lord, pardon, I beseech you, the iniquity of this people, verse 19, according unto the greatness of your mercy, that's that word chesed, your loyal love, your unconditional devotion. Will you pardon them according to the greatness of your love? And as you have already forgiven this people from Egypt, even up till now, Lord, it's just been one big journey of forgiveness. What's one more time? Lord, will you please forgive and be gracious? I love that Moses doesn't accuse God of being unfair. He knows that Israel deserves to be wiped out, but he also knows that's not what they need. They need forgiveness. And so he prays, Lord, you've been so good to us up to this point. Will you please do so again? What a great way to pray. (laughs) How can God say no to that? He can't. 
Now, does God answer it exactly as Moses prays? He says for a full pardon and not exactly because while God can forgive them, they haven't really changed their attitude. So even though he can scrap the previous plan, which truthfully was not God's plan, he can't let a disobedient people go into the land. Forgiveness doesn't mean a removal of consequences altogether. For the Bible also says what a man sows, that shall he reap. So verse 20, here we see God's response to Moses. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. He pardons the two things he said he was going to do. He said, I'll wipe them out and I'm going to disinherit them. They won't be my people anymore. And the Lord rescinds both of those judgments from verse 12 here in verse 20. He was not going to wipe them out and he's not going to break off his relationship with them. But because they rejected his leadership and threatened to murder Joshua and Caleb and continued to doubt him, he has to deal with that. Can I just gently say to you, please don't become upset when you confess your sin to God and you ask him to forgive you, but you still experience some practical consequences for it. Please don't do that. Confession and forgiveness restores our relationship with God, but it's not a get out of jail free card every time you do something you shouldn't do and consequences result. That should never be our mindset. Now, I have found frequently when I come to the Lord and I'm like, Lord, I do not deserve to be out of the mess I've created for myself, but Lord, I don't see a way out of it. Would you please lead me through this mess? I have found that God is even then so gracious and merciful and frequently he sets my feet into a much more stable place and I don't have to go through it as bad as I thought it was. But then there's those few times when the Lord has said to me, Will, you're not really gonna learn this lesson unless I let the consequences stand. I remember there was a time where I got three tickets in the span. No, I'm sorry, let me rephrase. I got pulled over three times in the span of like two weeks. You know, you, you probably need to change your driving habits when the youth group nicknames you Speed Racer on the way to a conference. The third time I got pulled over, the first two times, the Lord showed me mercy, I didn't get a ticket. And the third time, God gave me the meanest, hardest, had the worst day cop in Central Florida. He walked up and he didn't even ask me anything. He had a ticket already in hand to hand to me. And as he's walking up, I heard that still small voice in the back of my mind saying, don't even try to get out of this one. The Lord was like, you're not going to learn. I remember as I sat there with that ticket in my hand and the Lord was like, Will, what if you're driving like this and you're cutting off people that come to your church? What about the maybe people you're sharing the gospel with and you're cutting them off? What is that going to do? Are you going to learn from this? That was a good lesson for me. So there are times that the Lord says, no, I'm keeping the consequences because I need you to learn the seriousness of this. And in particular, when they hadn't been repentant yet, the consequences of some sort remain. So the Lord says in verse 21, but as I truly live, I'll pardon them. I'm not gonna cut them off. They'll be my people still. I won't disinherit them. I'm not gonna wipe them out. But as truly as I live, which God is alive and real, He says, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. See, the earth will be filled with a true representation of who he is when all is said and done. When Jesus comes to rule and reign, all the things that people said about God, all the false accusations that were made against him, all the critiques, they will all come to naught. When he comes and he comes to rule and reign, all of that will be gone and done. He will have an accurate representation of himself everywhere and his glory will fill the earth. Here, it is same thing, but on a much smaller level, just dealing with Israel. His desire to show mercy cannot stop that, that he needs to accurately reflect who he is in every way. So the question is, how can God do something about their behavior, but spare their lives? How can he preserve their relationship, but deal in discipline? Here's where we find justice and mercy meet, like we read in Psalm 85 in our scripture reading. Verse 22. 
Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles, which I did in Egypt and in the desert, the wilderness, and they have tempted me these 10 times and have not hearkened to my voice, surely they shall not see the land which I swore unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. So what's their discipline? They will not get to go into the land. The word they're tempted, it means to make a choice that causes trouble or hardship. They have brought trouble to what I'm trying to do here. They have brought trouble to me. And so the Lord says, because they did that these 10 times, which shows God's been pretty merciful up to this point, the hammer does fall, even if it's not in complete judgment. God spares them, but they do not get to go into the land with one exception, because God is just. Verse 24. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and has followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereunto he went and his seed shall possess it. So Caleb is exempt from this judgment. We'll learn later that Joshua is also exempt from the judgment for the same reason. I love this here because the Lord calls Caleb whose servant? My servant. Caleb was God's servant first. So see, when the people went the wrong direction, his fellow leaders went the wrong direction, Caleb followed the Lord. And for that, he's greatly rewarded. Let me ask you, are you God's servant first? Who else's servant might you be? How do you become God's servant first if you're not? Well, two things are mentioned about Caleb here that might help us. First off, it mentions he had another spirit with him. The phrase there, another spirit, means he had a different heart within him. The greatest commandment that Jesus explained, he said, is what? It's the commandment from same thing, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your might, right? That is the greatest commandment. The question is, if you want to be like Caleb, you have to ask yourself, or you need to want to become like that, who or what do you love the most? Who or what do you love the most? See, anything that competes with that place for God is an idol and it must be removed. Otherwise, you won't have a different heart. You have a heart like everybody else has. Everybody has their idols. So if you're not going to put him in that place of preeminence, then you're gonna not have, you'll have the same heart everybody else has and you're gonna struggle at times. You're not gonna make these decisions that Caleb made. You're not gonna be his servant first. But if you make him first and foremost to you and you'll have a different heart, you'll be his servant first in all that you do. The second attribute that he had here that made him God's servant first was it says that he has followed me fully. The word there fully means to do something with earnest dedication. Webster's defines earnest as to show sincere and intense conviction. To do something with sincere and intense conviction that leads to dedication. So here's another question I would ask you. Not only what or who do you love most, but what have you dedicated yourself to most? Is it your job? Is it your hobbies, your possessions? Whatever it is that you answer that question with, that's the thing that will always get your most sincere response. It will be. If another person is the most important thing to you, that's the thing that will get the most intense, sincere, earnest response in your life. Everything else will fall second to that thing. So if you make the Lord that thing that you're most dedicated to, then you'll be his servant first. So to be God's servant first, I must make knowing him my most sincere and intense dedication. If they can't go into the land now, where are they going to go? And for Moses in particular, as their leader, where is he supposed to take them? Are they supposed to just sit here forever? Is this going to be their new camp, the desert? Where are they supposed to go? So verse 25, the Lord says to Moses, Now the Amalekites and the Canaanites dwelt in the valley. The valley is, it's Negev in the Hebrew, which means the region just to their west. That route wouldn't be safe. They couldn't go that way. 
which is probably the way they were planning on going because that's the most traveled way to Egypt. That's probably the way they had thought about going back. So he says, you can't go that way. So here's God's instructions. Tomorrow, turn you, or literally turn around, and get you into the desert by the way of the Red Sea. So not by the way that leads to Egypt, but rather the road that leads to the sea. So go back the way you came into the desert, by the road that leads to the Gulf of Aqaba down there, right by Saudi Arabia. Only nomadic tribes lived out there, so it would be much safer for them to be out there. Now, there's no other destination, so I guess we're just going to live in the desert so far. We'll get more info in a moment. But the question is, how was Moses supposed to deliver this kind of horrible news to the people? Well, apparently, they were still complaining even though God had showed up. So the Lord has a special message for them about how to deliver it, the news. Verse 26. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and to Aaron, saying, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? They're still murmuring. Even though I've showed up and they're not going to stone Joshua and Caleb, they're still complaining, though. Well, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel which they murmur unto me. So here it is. Say unto them, verse 28. As truly as I live, says the Lord, as you have spoken in mine ears, so will I do to you. Your carcasses shall fall in this wilderness, in this desert. And all that were numbered of you, according to your whole number, from 20 years old and upward, which you have murmured against me, which have murmured against me, doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, except for Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. So here we see that God's discipline falls upon the people. And there is a sad but serious irony as we read these words. He says, as you have spoken, so I will do unto you. You came to me and said, you brought us out here to kill us. The Lord says, okay, that's how it's going to be. You're going to die here. Your carcasses, your corpses are going to lie in this desert. This is where you're going to die. So everyone who's 20 years old and up, None of you are going to get to go into the land. None of you. You're all going to die out here in the desert. See, instead of trusting God, they trusted their own fears and doubts, and so God gives them what they put their trust in. They got exactly what they were worried about. And so what's interesting, it mentions here, God references all those early chapters of Numbers where we did all, that count, all those, the counting, and he says, all of them, 20 years old and up that I counted earlier, all of them are going to die in the wilderness. You know, all those chapters with counts of people become a bit more meaningful now, don't they? Because as you put those numbers, I know some of you are probably going over them in your mind. How many people are going to die in the desert? Can you imagine what a horrible day this was? And do you see the seriousness of disobeying God and trusting your fears instead? Let's be a people who trust him and not our fears. And yet, there's a beautiful promise even in this judgment. Verse 11, But your little ones, which you said should be a prey, Them will I bring in, and they shall know the land which you have despised. God says, yeah, I'm disciplining you, and you're not going to get to go in, but I will keep my promise. God will keep his promise. God will prove himself stronger than their sin, and God will be gracious while being just in how he handles it. How? Because all of their kids who they were worried about, that they said they're going to die out here and become slaves, I'm going to bring them into the land, and they will experience the blessing. The land that you despised, you rejected. They will experience this blessing that you refused because you wouldn't trust me. I don't know about you, but I don't want to reject God's good plan for me. I don't want to miss out. And don't you want the same? To experience all God has for you? Well, where will they go in the desert when they get to the desert? Sadly, absolutely nowhere. Verse 32. But as for you, your carcasses, carcass sounds a little bit more 
heavy than corpses. But your carcass, they shall fall in this wilderness, in this desert. And your children shall wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And they shall bear your whoredoms until your carcasses be wasted in the desert. After the number of the days in which you search the land, even 40 days, each day for a year shall you bear your iniquities, even 40 years, and you shall know my breach of promise. I, the Lord, have said, I will surely do it unto all this evil congregation that are gathered together against me. In this wilderness they shall be consumed, and there they shall die. He says, you're going to wander. Your children are going to wander out in this desert. The word there, wander, means to lead a shepherd life, which means you don't have a home. A shepherd was always under constant travel with no place to call home. He says, they're going to suffer because of your whoredoms. They're going to bear your unfaithfulness. So they got to carry it for a while. But how long will they have to carry it? Well, at the end of 40 years. Joshua, Caleb, and all of the, the nation's children, they don't get to go into the land yet. They'll have to carry the burden of everyone else's unfaithfulness for 40 years. Why 40 years? One year for every day the spies saw the awesome land God promised, but rejected it to give in to their fears. And the Lord says, verse 34, as a result of this, you shall know my breach of promise. You will understand my cause for displeasure. What's God saying there? Well, God's saying, I didn't do this to make you feel horrible. I'm doing this so you'll learn to trust me moving forward. I don't know about you. I'm 43 years old. 40 years is my entire life. That's a long time. There's a lot I've experienced. I was going through some old photo, well, no, old letters, letters from Bible college when I was at school and letters my parents had sent me, letters my grandmother, had, grandparents had sent me, letters friends had sent me, letters my fiance, who's now my wife at the time, had sent me. And I was just going through all these things. And you know, I, I was thinking, I had forgotten a lot of the stuff that was in there. And you just forget about, man, I've, I've experienced a lot in my life. 40 years is a long time. And during that 40 years in the wilderness, they're going to face more crises. They're going to face more challenges where they have to trust God. And so God wanted their relationship to grow from this point, not deteriorate. So each year in the desert, because it was 40, would be a reminder not to repeat this mistake. And it'll be a lesson to the next generation as well. Not to fall short like this one did when they got their chance to go in 40 years from now. There is still one more group God does have to deal with. The spies that led the people away from the Lord. And God does deal with them severely. Verse 36. And the men which Moses sent to search out the land, who returned and made all the congregation to murmur against him by bringing up a slander or an evil report upon the land, even those men that did bring up the evil report upon the land, they died by the plague before the Lord. But Joshua the son of Nun, Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of the men that went to search the land, they still lived because they were faithful and they trusted the Lord. At this point, it says, And Moses told these sayings unto all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. We see them mourning, and we go, Oh, good, they're getting right with the Lord. But this was not a sorrow that leads to repentance. Remember Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about godly sorrow and ungodly sorrow? This is not godly sorrow. Because look at their response the next morning. Verse 40. And they rose up early in the morning, and they got them up into the top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and we will go up unto the place which the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. So they decide to go to the promised land anyway. We had a rule in my family. My dad, this is the way it worked. If you told the truth, you didn't get a spanking. Didn't matter how bad it was. If you told the truth, you didn't get a spanking. You might have gotten grounded or something like that. Might have gotten disciplined, but no spankings. But if you lied, it was a guaranteed spanking. 
Now you'd think we'd learn from that. <laughs> there was a time we were all in the car. We were driving by on, on 436 and going down to Palm Springs Road, which is the street we lived on at the time, uh, the, the street we lived off of at that time. And we knew we were in trouble because we had lied about something. All of us had lied about something. And we knew it was coming. And we're sitting back there like, what do we do? What do we do? They're like, well, he said if we tell the truth, you know, we don't, we don't get spanked. They're like, but we already lied. We're like, well, let's tell the truth now. Maybe we can get out of it now. And so we all said, hey, Dad, we want to we tell you about everything that we did. And we told the truth. And you could tell there was probably some comic relief going on up front like, oh, they're trying to work the system here. And we'd gotten together on it. Dad, we want to tell the truth now. I want to tell you what really happened. And I still remember my dad said, sons, it's too late. That was the longest drive home. <laughs> they said, wait a second, Will, but they said they sinned. They confessed in their sin. And now they're going to do what God said, right? That's repentance, isn't it? No, because now they had new marching orders. And they planned to disobey them as well. Their hearts are still not humbled at all. They don't want to do what God says still. They want to do what they want to do. And so Moses warns them. And he says to them, Wherefore now do you transgress the commandment of the Lord? Which is literally in the Hebrew means, what are you doing now? You can imagine pulling hair out if he had any left. What are you doing now? But it shall not prosper. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, so that you be not smitten from before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites, they're there before you, and you shall fall by the sword. Because you are turned away from the Lord. Therefore, the Lord won't be with you. This is not the, the plan. The plan now is to go wander in the desert for 40 years. That was his command. We want, we want to obey the, the other command. Too, too late. Now you need to do what God says here. Show that you're repentant by doing what God says here. No, we're going to go up. Well, if you go up, the Lord's not going to go with you. I warn you, do not do this. Moses warns them that if they do go do this, they will do it on their own. And so all those problems they're worried about, the giants and the walled cities and the bigger armies... All the things that required a supernatural solution from God, now they're going to have to face them on their own, which will utterly fail. And I would encourage you, do not do this. This is what we call the sin of presumption. Assuming that God will be with you even though you're clearly disobeying his command. He will not. (laughs) I hate to break the news to you, but he will not be with you in that, which means your endeavor will fail. So do they heed Moses' warning? Nope, because they haven't repented. Verse 44. But they presumed, the word there means to act arrogantly, to not be humble. They presumed to go up under the hilltop. And what happened when they got there? It says, nevertheless, well, I'm sorry, nevertheless, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and Moses did not depart out of the camp. They didn't go with. Moses said, you can go. I'm not going with you because I know the Lord's not in this. Which, by the way, took a lot of guts. They've already tried to kill one, two people. They took a lot of guts. So what happened? Well, then the Amalekites came down and the Canaanites, which dwelt in the hill, and they smote them, and good old King James word, and discomfited them. It means to crush, shatter, or break in pieces. I've been discomfited a few times, I think. <laughs> they whooped them, even unto Hormah. Now, Hormah was the southernmost village of the Canaanites on the border, the southern borders of the land. What's interesting about that is it shows that the Israelites actually beat off what are the defenses the outlying villages had. But once they got up into the fortified areas in the hills... The Amalekites and the Canaanites sprung their trap and they smashed the Israeli force. And whatever ground they had gained was lost. Shortest invasion ever. (laughs) You know, when God warns you about something, can I plead with you tonight? Please listen. His warnings are serious and he gives them because he loves you. There's a sad end to our chapter here. 
Sadly, it's not going to get necessarily a lot better until we get to the next generation and they do succeed. But let's bring it forward to our time. Where do justice and mercy find their ultimate meeting place? Well, of course, they find their meeting place in the cross, right? It's interesting in this incident here, God pardoned them, but they still experienced God's justice, right? While they lived, they missed out on all God wanted to do for them. But in the cross, here's the cool point and why the new covenant's better than the old one. In the cross, God meets out justice on himself instead so that we can inherit all he wants to give us if we trust in that offering. We never have to miss out on anything, even though we still fail like they do. We can experience all God has for us if we'll simply trust in him. Amen? Let's take advantage of that. Let's live under that beautiful blessing of the new covenant and trust the Lord. Because the truth is this, Jesus didn't die for you on the cross so you could wander around in the desert of your life for the rest of your life. He promised to give you abundant life. That's our promised land. That abundant life, better than everybody else has it, walking in his spirit, walking in victory. And so will you lay hold of of that by trusting in him the entire way? Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your great love for us. And we thank you for the warnings that you give to us in your word. And Lord, it's our desire to take heed to them, to trust you, not to, Lord, be consumed by our fears and by our doubts and by our worries, or even by the odds that seem so stacked against us in a situation. But Lord, we want to trust you, the God who is love, the God who is faithful, the God who is all-powerful, the God who isn't like us and who can do all things. So Lord, we don't want to miss out on anything you have for us. So we yield ourselves to you now. As we leave here tonight, take our lives and let them be consecrated, Lord, to thee. In Jesus' name, that is our prayer. Amen. God is loving and forgiving but that is never at the expense of him being just. Sin and disbelief have consequences. Rejecting God's word and promises will lead to missing out on the blessings that he desires to give us. The Israelites rejected God's plan, and it cost them, but God was merciful and still is today. It is never too late to turn back to him, to repent from wherever there is compromise in our lives and trust him. We don't have to stay in the wilderness when our merciful Heavenly Father is willing to walk forward with us. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.